Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Grilling JR, the voice of professional wrestling, Mr. Jim Ross. Jim, how are you, man? Not bad. Not bad, Connie. I'm here with you, and that makes me happy. One of my favorite times of the entire week is to record these shows. So uh, we appreciate everybody tuning in. Absolutely, we do, and we hope you'll be tuning in to AEW Collision this weekend. Of course, they just made their jaunt up to Montreal, and before you know it, they're going to be hopping all over Texas. Tickets are on sale right now at AEWTIX.com. Of course, they've got a big show next weekend. Uh, it's a Ring of Honor pay-per-view as you're listening to this, so make plans to join the folks over in Arlington for a Dynamite and then a final battle there uh, in Garland, Texas for Ring of Honor. And AEW back in Dallas. Garland, Texas. Yeah, that's a good venue too. That's a uh, that's one of those Raphael Morphy discoveries. He that's a it's a perfect building for us, size wise, uh, geography. They got plenty of parking. You know things that you might not automatically think of, but uh, that'll be a good show. I'm assuming that uh, Caprice Coleman and Ian Riccoboni will call that show. I don't know that, but. They're the kind of the ring of honor guys and they do a real good job. So, uh, that'd be a fun show to watch and, and to listen to those voice work. Check it out. If you haven't already, AEWTIX.com. It's going to be a little weird on December 20th because, uh, AEW is going to be in Oklahoma city. Yeah. Uh, and of course, uh, that's JR stomping grounds. You can pick up tickets right now. AEWTIX.com is where you can do it. Of course, Jim, our, our big topic today is going to be. Looking at Starcade 89, uh, what a fun time this was in my fandom. I can't wait for us to get knee deep into it. But before we do, we've got to at least talk about college football because, yeah. well, as our friend Eric always says, controversy creates cash. And, man, there's a little controversy about this NFL or this uh, college football playoff. We know, number one, Georgia, after a 29-game win streak, the reigning defending national champions, they lost Alabama, and it created chaos. Yeah. So Georgia finds themselves outside of the playoff now. And so does, unfortunately, Florida state. Yeah, they were undefeated. A, they won their shame. division. Yeah. They lost their quarterback and the committee decided winning the sec is more important than winning the ACC. I suppose this was always going to be an issue. You know, if you've got five big divisions and only four spots, somebody's getting left out. And a lot Let's of people are arguing who was left out Florida state or Georgia, but they're on the it, outside looking in. Yeah. Do the math, man. I mean, God yeah. almighty. Here's the thing. Uh, in, in my opinion, uh, I think they, it's hard to d- dis- disagree with the four teams that are in the playoff. It's hard to disagree. They're uh little bull. He's all over it. Bless his little fat heart. Uh, the, uh, that's like the pot calling the kettle black. Call somebody <laughs> fat. I'll tell you that, but I have lost some weight since I've been on this insulin, uh, insulin shots. It's coming down. It's funny how that works. They have all these commercials for how to lose weight and they, and they know the answers. They just want to market the pro- other, the products, the weight loss products. But anyhow, that has nothing to do with the college football playoff. I think Florida state did everything they were told they needed to do to make it. They did not lose a game. They, uh, won their league. 
they're conference champions and still no cigar. And I think that quarterback situation was the deciding factor. And I don't think that's the way it should be. So, uh, so then you could ask him, well, JR, if you put Florida state in, who would you take out? And that's a hard question, right? Cause Alabama seems to be peaking their quarterbacks playing really well. And that's a key thing in this, uh, you know, you don't have much, uh, room for error when you're in a single elimination tournament. So, uh, and that's what this thing is. The four teams who loses goes home and wears their letter jacket and who wins plays another game. So I, I, uh, I think Florida state got, got hosed, but again, if you ask me who to take out, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. So it's, it's like a dog chasing its tail. I don't know if I'm ever going to catch it. So, uh, but I, I like you and I were talking before we started recording. That Alabama and Michigan game is a TV masterpiece. Yeah. That's ratings, man. And, uh, you can say somebody's, well, I don't like Alabama. I don't, I don't like Michigan. Well, I don't give a shit if you like them or not. They're in the game, they're playing and it will get a huge rating because of the two, the histories and the legacies of the two, two schools involved. So, uh, and it's going to take a lot of glow off of, uh, Washington and, uh, Texas it's the lead in. So are you going to watch six hours or seven hours of football? Or are you going to watch for sure one game? Well, if you're for sure going to watch one game, Connie, you're going to watch probably going to watch the Rose bowl. I went to the Rose bowl once. Uh, I think, uh, Oklahoma played Georgia in that Rose bowl. We got beat late. Great game. But we got beat late. Uh, Georgia was loaded. Oklahoma wasn't bad. And so, uh, but it's a, it's majestic when you drive the little dirt road type thing into the stadium area. It's just beautiful. It's historic. I always think of Keith Jackson calling the Rose bowls over the years and I hear his voice and that's what I think of. So, uh, well, he was a nice guy. I met him a couple of times. We had vodka together, Connie, believe it or not. You believe that? So. And here's a guy talking about drinking vodka and I haven't had a drink in uh, almost three months. How's you know, that? we didn't talked about that, but, uh, we, we, we should talk about that. Like you've mentioned it to me off air, but we've yet to talk about it on air. So here you are nearly 90 days, uh, no alcohol. None. How's that affecting your life? Why did you make that decision? Is it, was it a good decision in hindsight? Is it something you're going to stick with? What's your goal? Well, I no, I probably, uh, uh, my goal is to get healthy and drinking was not working well with my meds, my diabetes medications. And, uh, I'm taking a new one, of course. Uh, so it just, it was a conflict. It's a conflict of interest, so to speak, because I want to get healthier and these meds got to work. And I was diluting their strength by drinking. So. I hung it up and I hadn't had any withdrawal. I haven't had any, uh, sleepless nights. I haven't cheated. You know, I was tempted a couple of nights ago. Maybe it was Sunday. I don't know when it was, but I think it was Sunday to go have a shot of crown Royal. And I resisted the urge. Now I know 
that somewhere down the road, I'll have that shot of crown Royal. Yeah. But I'm going to do things in moderation. Not like I'm, you know, a, a massive 400 pound King Kong Bundy or something. So, uh, but I, I've, it's, this has pulled a lot of weight off of me. I'm losing weight. Uh, I feel healthier. Uh, I hope to get, uh, I hope to go back to work sooner than later, but I'm not sure what the doctors are going to say. It's not up to me. I got to get released to go back to work because of, you know, this wound and, uh, the diabetes I can do that. I, I can handle and treat that on the road. So, uh, but anyway, I, I, uh, the drinking was just something that I, I had to do to maximize the investment and it is significant of all my medicines. So that's why I did it. And it's working out fine. Well, we're glad to hear it. We're pulling for you, Jim. And, uh, I'm excited to hear that, you know, things are looking up for you and, and things are certainly looking up for Oklahoma. Their bowl game has been announced. They're going to be playing. Another pretty, pretty highly favored team. Number 14, Arizona and the yeah. Alamo dome. You excited about, uh, the announcement that Arizona is the opponent. I mean, that's 12 versus 14. That's pretty evenly matched on paper. No. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that's good booking, good booking. You know, that's a new game. It's a fresh game. Uh, Arizona's on the upswing. So they got, they've got good players. They've recruited well. Uh, I've always thought that job was kind of an underrated job because, uh, for whatever reason, they seem to have overtaken Arizona state within the state, as far as recruiting things are concerned, I might be wrong on that, but I think that, uh, there, it should be fun. And I don't, I'm concerned, you know, uh, uh, the, our quarterbacks going to the transfer portal for his, he's got one more year left. He had a year. He could play at OU. Dylan Gabriel, good kid, good, good quarterback, but man, uh, damn Conrad, they it's, it's, it's fresh. We talk about this, about wrestling fans like new and fresh. Yes. And that's what, uh, this game offers to me. Two teams have been around a long time, had a lot of success, especially Oklahoma. And yes, I'm a little partial. I may wear this shirt three days. What the fuck? Yeah, why not? <laughs> Listen, we're uh, we're excited that uh, we've got you here to talk about one of my favorite pay per view styles and concepts and sets. As a kid, uh, I first became a wrestling fan in the summer of '88, so I'm at the peak of my fandom here in late '89, and yeah. we're coming right off of a very special Clash of the Champions. It's one of Jim and I's favorite matches. It was Clash of the Champions 9, New York Knockout. It happened November 15th. It was Ric Flair and Terry Funk in an I Quit match. We've covered it in the archives before. It's available now for you at GrillingJR on YouTube.com. But we're roughly one year into what I guess we'll call the Turner Home Entertainment era. You know, this is roughly a year after the acquisition from the Crockett family. And you wrote in your book that you're sort of the go-between between between the booking committee, which is several different versions of that in WCW and Jim heard, it (laughs) felt like uh, you sort of drew the short end of the stick there. We're leaning on you to be the liaison. That's a bad spot. You're very observant. You're very observant. It was the shits. Let's put it that way. 
it wasn't yeah. a position that I sought after. Uh, but because I, and let me tell you the basic reason this is, it's a weak ass reason. The basic reason was because I had office hours. I st I was in the, in the CNN center every day that we weren't on the road taping. So I had access more access to Mr. Hurd than just about anybody else. Uh, you know, it just was a, it just happened it's, it's coincidence because, you know, when I went to work there and I, ha I got, have a little office and it's all cool. I never dreamed that this booking committee bullshit was going to be an issue, but it was horrible. It was, there's so many smart guys on the booking committee and it, and creative is such a subjective entity that there's really no wrong answer until you try it. And then you see if it's going to work, click attach to the audience or not. And that was kind of how I, I saw that it, it just had one day. It was just that way. Then the booking committee would say, Hey, Jr., you're going to be, uh, you'll be in the office. Talk to her about such and such, or we'd like to do this. And then they would depend on me to pitch their idea to Mr. Hurd. And then if they, if her turned it down because they should have been pitching the idea, not me, uh, and set in a room and here's what we'd like to do. Mr. Hurd, blah, 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 and lay it out. But they wanted to go to the airport and go home. And that's kind of the, the, the long and the short of it. And so if something didn't get approved. There's gotta be a bad guy somewhere. Well, Hurd right. was normally the bad guy. And then somebody might say, well, you know, Jr. never liked that idea. I bet he didn't pitch it hard. So you can't win for losing. It's just what it is. So anyhow, that's how that came about. And it was not a good system, Connie. It was not a good system uh, as a, as a skilled entrepreneurial businessman, as you are, you don't have to have a lot of product knowledge to figure out that this is not the way to go. Well, we know that there are some things that you got to be excited about. One of those is Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard have given notice in the WWF. We know they're going to be coming back or trying to come back in December right. of 89 here. I say try because Arn comes back, but, uh, the word on the street is perhaps Tully has had a, uh, a drug test failure allegedly for cocaine in the WWF. And I guess that spooks some folks on the Turner side. When I asked Mr. Hurd about this. He didn't see this as any great loss. He thought these guys weren't big stars and they weren't big in stature. I just think in hindsight, boy, how could you not want Tully Blanchard on your roster? What do you remember of this circumstance? Well, it just proves the point that you and I've talked about here endlessly. And that is that Mr. Hurd, Hey, look, I like the guy. He's a guy's guy. And we'll go talk about Kentucky football. He played at Kentucky. Uh, and he was so shocked that I knew who Bob Gain was. He was a big offensive tackle, about six, six or six, eight, which was a freak in that era. But you know, he'd, he'd pick up the tab. So to take me to a, a five-star restaurant on a, on a semi-regular basis and have, have a big old steak. Hey, I didn't think I had a bad gig. I, no. I'm living in an apartment in Buckhead. And so consequently. If I, that's been days before the craze of home food delivery, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I mean, I use that, that, that 
that product, that, that thing. Cause I don't want to cook. Yeah. Sometimes I get in the, get the hots to cook and I'll mix something up, but generally it's very, it's a one dish meal. And so anyhow, uh, uh, it just proves the point that Mr. Hurd, a nice guy, fun to go to dinner with, uh, but he had no product knowledge and people that have no product knowledge, uh, expose their hand real quick. And to say that Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard, uh, were not stars. It's ridiculous. Yes. It's not a little miss. It's not even, you're not even on the, on the, on the, on the board miss. It's just horrible, but he didn't know. And I don't know who was around him that was telling him that somebody, I, 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 I like to think somebody was in his ear, but they're just one of the best top five tag teams of all time. I ain't no doubt. So, uh, but that was a, another card in the deck that, that he tried to play that just didn't work. And he lost a lot of respect from the boys because the boys would relish the opportunity to work with Arn and Tully. So, and so a lot of guys were offended. Our boss doesn't want these two guys. God damn. Where does that leave us? And he had a, you, you had a key word in that description stature. Yeah. You know, both Arn and Tully are, you know, Arn's a little taller than Tully, I think maybe six feet, right? Six one. And, uh, Tully's probably, there you go. Attaboy, Dave, you little genius. Tully's five ten, Right. Who cares? It's irrelevant. So another card, another bad card played. Let's talk about, uh. Tully for a moment, you know, Tully never really gets another big bite at the apple. I mean, the, the big run with the WCW or WWF organizations never really happens. I know he continued to wrestle a little bit here and there, but he sort of moved on with his life when this doesn't really work out for him. And we've heard that he was pretty loud and proud and pretty vocal about his displeasure before. Isn't it a real shame that Tully was out of wrestling as long as he was? I mean, it's hard for me to imagine a guy who's that talented on the outside looking in for very long. He's got great booking skills. He, he creatively, everything you'd want. He has in-ring experience of a high level. Uh, he is very cerebral. He's an intelligent guy. So he has immense product knowledge. Uh, and he, I think he would have been great in a booking environment. I don't know what that means. He's the booker or a member of a two or three man committee. Something like that. The committee got too big. Yeah. And that's, that was one of the issues there. It's fundamentally was wrong. There are great talented guys on the committee, uh, that had tremendous wrestling intellect, but we had too many. Right. So it was just, uh, there was no, the system was flawed and, uh, but the talent in with that made up the comprise the committee were enormous the hall of fame people. So, uh, I, I think that, uh, you know, uh, we just had our own, we, we were failed from the start and we didn't know it. We didn't know the extremes and the, the, the uh, scope of this whole entity, but it, it, it was 
horrible and it hurt the company. One of the other things you wrote in your book at the time was you felt like this is Sting's time. It's time to pull the trigger on Sting as champion. We know Sting is ultimately going to get that opportunity, but it winds up being a great American bash the coming year. What in hindsight, would it have been a better call for Sting to win the belt here at Starcade? Might might have been. I can't argue against that point. You, you never, you know. Did we could would we have captured lightning in a bottle as the old expression goes? Maybe. I can see it working. Uh, so yeah, it'd been worth a try if that was uh, of the uh, of the committee's mindset. But there were still people on the committee that I don't know had developed the confidence in a young sting that they should have. Just my, that's really what I was going for is, do you think that person was Ric Flair? Like was Rick hesitant to drop it to sting? We know he's going to be steadfast, you know, a, a year later or two years later when he doesn't want to drop the title to this guy and he wants to drop it to that guy. Was that an issue yeah. with Sting here in late 89? You know what? It might've been Connie. I don't, uh, I mean, and, and Rick had his, as he should, he had his allies in the booking committee. So, uh, and I know that those guys knew how much the t- being the champion meant to Nate. So any, t- any talk of, of having someone else in that role, uh, would fall on, I don't want to say deaf ears, but would fall on the dissident ears. It's just not going to, it's not going to fl- fly as much as some people wanted it to. So, but that's the whole issue about a giant committee. God damn. It's hard to come to a consensus. And then the guys that don't get their way pout. So, or clam up or whatever. It was a nightmare. The whole concept was a nightmare. And, uh, but on your question on sting, yeah, it might've been a, a good idea. I certainly would say this based on the history of that whole period. It probably would have been worth a try. Yeah. I'll say that. Let's talk about Kevin Sullivan. He was worth a try. He's going to be joining you to do color. I mean, you did color with a lot of people in this era, but how did you enjoy working with Kevin Sullivan? And how did you enjoy working with Michael Hayes? Oh, well, they both had similar qualities. They both had great product knowledge. They both understood what they were selling Yeah, and they both had personalities. They knew how to get over. Uh, and, and get talent over. Uh, I like working with both those guys. I've been really blessed Connie in my career. Uh, you know, I don't know how many more years I got left. Uh, but I've been really blessed with working with some of the most talented, fun people that you can imagine. Sullivan was very cerebral, very, very smart, calculating, uh, had a, had a had an affinity for the bizarre. That was his style. So and he said, well, how's that work? Well, it's like, it's like a, a, mo- a director of a, a movie series, uh, that are horror movies. That's their, that's their forte. And Sully was a little bit in that vein. He, he liked the bizarre and the macabre. I've always wanted to say that on the show macabre. Uh, and Michael was just, you know, 
Southern redneck Michael Hayes, who's very intelligent, uh, hence his long tenure at WWE. Michael's made a great living for himself. I'm very happy for him. He's one of the few guys that uh, I can expect to hear from to check on my health. Mm. And we haven't seen each other. Uh, and I don't know how long, I don't even remember the last time that's not good. So anyhow, uh, they were great, Connie. They really were. They were easy to work with. Uh, they wanted more information. They pushed the committee to give them more info as far as creative directions concerned. And it, it paid off in their broadcast. They all, they didn't miss any sellable points and they knew what a sound bite was. And I thought we worked out fine. One of the new talent who's going to be coming in, who was actually pursued by the WWF. And I don't think that enough people talk about that. George Gonzalez. We know we're going to see him as Eligante here in WCW, but do you remember there being, I, I wouldn't call it a bidding war, but interest from the WWF. I mean, we know eventually he goes there, but it, no, I, want it talk about, I want to talk about that haircut. His <laughs> or yours? Because yours Mine. is pretty spectacular. Yeah. Are you kidding me? I don't know what the hell I was thinking. Uh, might've been hung over that morning when I combed my hair. <laughs> Atlanta was a fun town to get that for that to happen. Uh, well, George is a sweetheart. Yes. He really and truly was. Uh, he was amazed and sometimes seemingly bewildered by the customs of the Americans. I know he enjoyed the American women. He's a, he is, a, he's always flirting with somebody female, uh, not, there's anything wrong with that. Uh, uh, nice guy, but he, he had absolutely, he didn't know, come here from Sikkim. There's a Gary Michael Capetta, the world's most dangerous announcer, but he had no product knowledge. Connie, he didn't understand the nuances of the wrestling business. Sometimes you need to know what not to do. Yeah. And he didn't have that, that, that trait yet. He had no product knowledge. I mean, locking up was a big deal. You know, I, I worked with him for hours one, one afternoon on, on doing promos. And I, it was just a, it was, uh, I lost my, I didn't lose my patience in front of him, but it was, it was good. You know, he just had no feel. Right. And he had a, he had a decent personality, but he just had no feel for the, the, the product, the product and wrestling fans have always been smart. They've always had a, a sharp eye and you know, they, they can, when they see somebody that they realize is unskilled, they don't react well to that. So that's kind of how I saw George, but nice guy, sweetheart of a guy. Hell, I, I, and he made, he made good money and in his two stints uh, in the, in the, in North America, uh, but he died broke. He, people took advantage of him. Uh, and I know that, uh, uh, I think it was Bruno Lauer, Harvey Whippleman that helped him a lot with, uh, That's right. with money, with money. And uh, you know, he had six figure years, plenty of them but he didn't know how to save money. He was a seven foot, seven inch poor basketball player who was an attraction. 
we, and I kept trying to explain the attraction concept to anybody that would listen, but God dang, he, he was just, he seen once a year, twice a year, you know, so he makes the territory one shot here and there, there you go. But we overexposed him and the more we overexposed him, the more, the less confidence the audience had in him. They didn't right. care. They, they didn't want to see him. Well, somebody we were all excited to see is Arnie Anderson. He's going to be reintroduced back into the company. He's going to save his old partner, Rick Flair from the great Muda and Buzz Sawyer. We haven't spent a lot of time talking about Buzz Sawyer. what did you think of his debut in WCW and how he fit and just how you held him, uh, as a performer. Buzz Sawyer was, uh, an animal, uh, aggressive, uh, he lived up to his name, mad dog, Buzz Sawyer, uh, intense as hell. Some of the matches I call between him and uh, hacksaw, Jim Duggan were classics. I still, I still remember them because of the physicality It was two macho guys who were both tough guys who wanted to make sure the, their opponent knew that I'm a badass. And so you lay your stuff in a little more stiff. If you find a, a, a bus saw your Jim Duggan match on, uh, on YouTube or wherever you source that stuff, uh, check it out and watch how they lock up, uh, little things that maybe the average guy wouldn't notice, but watch how they lock up and how they're twisting and turning on the other guy's neck, which hurts. Yeah. But it lets you know I'm here type thing. But uh, buzz was a, a, a great heel. Great heel. He, and he could feed a comeback as well as anybody. So he could take bumps and for a heel that could feed a comeback and take bumps and, and, and multitude is a, is a great skill set. So buzz was a, he was a keeper. He was, he's a little crazy, but hell we can say that Conrad about most of the people we know in this business, including ourselves. We're all a little crazy. Say, present company. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, so let's talk about some moving and goings on behind the scenes. The observer would write this promoters, Elliot and Carl Mernick were fired by TBS and Sandy Scott was demoted from being a promoter to being in charge of the rings, getting from city to city. Chip Burnham of TBS, Gary Juster and Tim Willett will be the event coordinators for the future. My guess is with Burnham new to the position that he'll make some rookie mistakes early on long run, wait and see. Ralph Reed was also dumped, which ends with several decades long relationship of Fred Ward promotions in Columbus, Georgia, and the NWA, the demotion of the Mernicks who were trying to get in with Titan sports now ends a long era as well as their father, Joe Mernick was half of the owner of the Jim Crockett promotions with Jim Crockett senior back when the territory was first built. Right. We we've, we've talked about as wrestling fans, some of these names before we've heard these names before. Take just a minute and talk to us about Elliot and Carl Mernick and, and their father, Joe, a uh, fun guys to be around Elliot and Carl. I think Elliot was the party guy more than Carl, but I, I had a lot of, I enjoyed being around them. They were, uh, they're, they, another that men's men, they, you know, they're big basketball, North Carolina basketball supporters, season tickets, uh, you know, courtside, all that good stuff. So I always enjoyed shooting the shit with them. Uh, and. And they knew their territory. They knew that every building, all the local media people, they could make a phone call and get a story in a paper type thing. 
because they had built a reputation or more specifically, their dad had built a reputation in, in those cities, a positive, uh, you know, those, in those days, Hey, look, Conrad, I've delivered so many bottles of whiskey and envelopes back in my day. Uh, I, you know, I felt like, uh, uh, outtake of the Sopranos. Yeah. Take their envelope and you give it to the sports writer. You take the, or you give it to the director, the news director, whatever. And they get presents. <laughs> so, uh, and they deserved them. What the hell? They weren't making any money. <laughs> so uh, the, the Mellet, uh, Elliot and Carl were good guys. They might've been stuck in their ways. Uh, but I thought they did a good job and I, and I was very surprised when they got let go. Talk to me a little bit about Sandy Scott. Some of our listeners have heard that name, uh, but they might not know his background and, and what his contributions were. Well, Sandy, a Canadian. Nice. I think he's from Hamilton, a, a hell of a good guy. There's nobody who was more solid and reliable, uh, and carried themselves with uh, professionalism than Sandy Scott, he and his brother, George, who also was a very successful booker, uh, or, and they didn't get along ironically, but, uh, too much. I heard that, that they didn't get along over whatever, but they're, they were a great tag team back in their day. So, uh, but, uh, Sandy was just a, a good man. And he, and he, again, those guys had played the same markets, Conrad over and over. Uh, and so they had all these contacts, they had friendships that they had built with people that were, uh, influencers in these various markets. So consequently, uh, you know, they had value and getting into, but he was at the stage of his life, getting a little older you know, and routing all the rings, making sure that there was plenty of the rings for where they needed to be. That's pretty damn important. Actually, when you stop and think about it, it's kind of hard yeah. to have a show without a ring. You can do it. Less than uh, ideal. It ain't ideal. No yeah. shit. No. So, uh, but I liked him. He was a smart guy, had great stories. He came from a unique era. And he was a national tag team. You know, he had no, he and his brother had notoriety. That brothers thing was a big deal. If you go back and look at some of the, the records and the history, uh, you know, it, there were a lot of brother tag teams in one era and they were one of those and were very successful. We've all heard the name Gary Juster. How'd you get along well with chip Burnham? Uh, okay. You know, chip was a go getter. He's another guy that thought he had more product knowledge than, than he did, but not a bad guy. He worked hard. seemed to me like, I think he passed away at a young age, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but he, he was a, you know, ambitious young guy that wanted to move up the corporate ladder. Can't blame him for that. So, uh, he, 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 it was an interesting experiment. Let's put it that way. And I think his skill set, as I've mentioned previously, was somewhat overrated as far as the product knowledge. I say product knowledge a lot because if you don't understand that, it's more than just a bad guy versus a good guy. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about 
how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. Pro wrestling has always been more uh, uh, in a different presentation when it was successful. <laughs> so, uh, by the way, you were right. Chip Burnham passed away in January of 2017 at just 61 years old. Yeah, I thought it was he was young. I didn't know what happened. What about Tim Willett? That's a name we haven't heard a lot of. Texas A&M guy. We got him through the Dallas office. Uh, he was involved in syndication, uh, in the Dallas office, fun guy, party guy. We partied a lot and he was a, he was a, he's a fun guy to be around. Uh, and he started gaining some product knowledge. He, he, he became a little bit of a student of the game where he wanted to know more than just good guy versus bad guy. Why is this working? Why can't we just put any two bad guys and any two good guys and have a match? Well, you know, we all know that doesn't work. It doesn't work that simplistically. It's got to be a story. Got to be a reason. Why are we having this match? What does it mean in the short term and the long term? And if you can't answer any of those questions, then you may want to revise your booking. But Tim was a fun guy to be around, and uh, another guy's young and ambitious man. So, uh, but I had fun with him. He was a he was always willing, he was ready for happy hour. And, and I, in that era of my life, unlike today, I, uh, that was a big deal. See, I was, see, I was newly divorced Conrad. It's I needed, I needed friends. I needed guys around me and, uh, to hang with. And he was always available, always available. What about Ralph freed? Uh, I think he was uh, from the Georgia territory. Yeah. Uh, any memories of Ralph? I didn't know him very well, Connie. I know, I know the name, uh, obviously, but I don't know. I didn't know, have a relationship with Ralph. I'd seen him at the office occasionally. As time went on, people spent less time at the office because it was a, I guess they thought they were an endangered species and they didn't want to go into the jungle alone. Uh, but I didn't know Ralph. I know he had, he had, he had a good reputation, right? You know, he's, he had, he'd done his work all those years and, and successfully. Well, let's talk about the road warriors here. They're going to agree to return for the option year of their contract. So they're actually going to be sticking around with the NWA and WCW until December 9th, 1990. Meltzer would say that should end any rumors of them going anywhere else. And from what he's been told, the terms were the same as last year. $2,000 per match for each road warrior and $1,100 for Paul Ellering for each match, 250 dates per year, which means they trail probably only flair and Hogan as the highest paid wrestlers in North America. Of course, there had been talk that the road warriors were not going to renew, but now they are, but let's just talk about the, the finances involved with that. Mm-hmm. That means before your, your travel. You're $5,100 in every single road warriors match. This is at a time where WCW is not necessarily setting the woods on fire from a live event perspective. 
Were you an advocate of keeping the Warriors around and at that rate? I'm not so sure about that rate. Uh, probably would have, I probably would have suggested, uh, and it's going to sound like a dick, uh, probably a little bit less. Uh, and I don't know if I would have used all 250 dates because the road warriors were attractions, right? They weren't Arn and Tully. They weren't the midnight express. They weren't the rock and roll express. They weren't a team that you could see over and over, uh, and enjoy it because they changed their matchup. They would do things differently. Road warriors had a routine that they were comfortable doing the finish going into the finish. Their obligatory high spots that they always did. They got a pop. Uh, but I think we overexposed them. Yeah. They, we, we allowed their specialness to evaporate to, to some degree. You know, I drink this fucking coffee and I get the hiccups. That's terrible for an orator. Fans were just too familiar with them. They saw them too often. It felt yeah. less special. Yeah. And they didn't have a variety of things that they did in their act, so to speak. They told the same jokes every week using that analogy. Right. Uh, so I looked at the road, I look at the road warriors as attractions. Now then were they big attractions? Hell yeah. And they would have been bigger in WCW if they had not been so overexposed. And then, you know, because when you do that and you have these longer matches and, and you're in a program, uh, you, you got to sell part of the functionality of this process of pro wrestling is you, if you don't learn how to sell in the various levels of selling, and you're going to be a one trick pony and one trick ponies don't last long-term. So they had, they had some, well, some teams, they, they sold better than others, uh, like the Steiners, uh, doom. And they sold for the, the, uh, Samoans. So I guess I'm defeating my point, but I'll just set, put it this way. They didn't like to sell. Right. And they perceived selling somebody convinced them over time that selling was a sh show of weakness and it's not. Well, that's silly. It's a show of strength and your ability to perform. And, uh, so anyway, uh, but I'm glad we kept them. We needed the name identity. We need the star power. But I think we, again, well, we got 250 dates. Well, just don't throw them away. Don't just use them for the sake that you got them on the books for 250 dates. Whoever said that was a good deal in the first place. Don't want to overexpose an attraction like those two cats. Let's talk about some other folks who were uh, maybe going to learn about selling. This is directly from the observer. Kevin Sullivan destroyed jobber Alex Porto so badly that the match will probably never air on TV. Porto bled like crazy, not the hard way, the hardest way, and wound up being taken out in an ambulance. This is a story I don't remember ever hearing about. We've seen some pretty brutal quote unquote squash matches where Kevin perhaps would be a little rough with some of the younger talent, but man, a guy left in a hospital and it's a guy we would see later in the WWF, Alex Porto. Do you remember hearing about this story? Vaguely, vaguely. When I was reading our, reading our notes, uh, last night, I, uh, or late last night, uh, I, uh, saw this and I, for the life of me, 
didn't remember it. Now, maybe if I saw a video, I would say, oh yeah, oh yeah, I remember that, but I don't. But Sully was known for being a little tough and, and, uh, I'd rather err on that side is the side of where your punches wouldn't break an egg. And, uh, but Sully was a physical guy. And I think that was part of that was his fact that he was way under six feet tall and he, he walked, he had a chip on his shoulder because he, he made himself a tough guy and he, and he, and he seemed like he had the desire to prove that every night that he's a tough guy. There's a so, clip uh, of this on YouTube that we'll link on our social, but boy, it's uh it's something to see. I, uh, so, Sully became a good friend over the years. I respect his knowledge. And I respect his, his dedication to pro wrestling after all these years, cause he's been in it a long time too. You know, I'll be 50 in the business, 50 years, January one. That's not that long off. No, I'll be here before you know it. And so will our conversation about Starcade 89. Of course, this is going to be a round robin tournament for both singles wrestlers and tag wrestlers and the singles affair. We've got Ric Flair, who's the NWA champion sporting the big gold belt along with sting the great Muda and Lex Luger. So that's loaded. And then over on the tag side, also loaded doom, the Steiner brothers, the road warriors and the skyscrapers. Now I say the skyscrapers because that was the original plan. And we know it's going to wind up being the Samoan SWAT team, but at some point Sig gets hurt with a broken rib that winds up turned turning into a punctured lung. So he's got a pretty major injury here, not a right. softball circumstance, but a real deal injury. <laughs> he's never going to be pulled from any of the advertising because as you know, that stuff goes out way ahead of time, a lot yeah. of times, and maybe we were going to make it a game time decision. This probably would have looked and felt like a different tournament, you know, had Sid been up to snuff, but this is uh, an interesting idea. You know, once upon a time, the, the Starcade concept was considered the granddaddy of them all. Of course, it was a Thanksgiving tradition in 87. Uh, Vince McMahon sets out to change that. He creates the Survivor Series. So starting in 88, the show starts happening in December. That was true grit that year, right at the very beginning, I guess, of the WCW era without Jim Crockett promotions. And now a year later, we come up with this idea of a round robin tournament. And I think on last week's show, you sort of gave us a tease. Was this your idea? The round robin tournament for Starcade? Uh, Mr. Hurd came to me and said, we need to do something, you know, special at Starcade and try to, you know, some, we need more sizzle. We need something different. We need something new. So I, uh, started thinking in a booking type sense, and I came up with the round robin tournament. I'm looking at it naively because I'm thinking, Hey, it's a uh, pro wrestling. Somebody has got to lose. Somebody's going to win. How big a deal is that going to be with the ones that you asked to put somebody over? I didn't think that through enough, but it was an issue. And, uh, uh but I love the concept. The, this, the artwork and the graphics look great. There was a lot of star power in the, in the picture. Uh, you're going to see all the top guys wrestle all the top guys, but again, somebody has got to win. Somebody has got to lose. 
So, uh, and because that idea got approved because nobody else had a better one, because I wouldn't want to die on that hill. Mm. If there were other ideas that uh, seemed to be marketable and fulfill the, the requirements outlined by Mr. Hurd, then I'd have been fine with that. I wasn't one of those guys where I'm going to boo-boo face because my idea didn't get accepted. Uh, so, but that's not how it went down. Nobody had anything better and they all went along with it. I think, uh, I don't know. It was just, it was, uh, I wish I'd have thought it through a little bit more. I still like the idea. I like tournaments. It start, everything starts and ends in one night. There's a, there's a natural progression and, uh, it's pretty cool. I, I think I like tournaments. That's why they make so much money for March madness. Think about that. That's a tournament and it's got charm and uniqueness and unpredictability. And uh, that's what we were shooting for, for this, uh, for Starcade in 89. Well, we're going to talk about some of the problems that existed politically, but before we do that, let's talk about some other moving and shaking that's happening with the roster. Jimmy Garvin, according to the observer is placed on what they called a company imposed vacation. Any idea what what that was about? Do you recall? I I don't remember. Jimmy was a, Jimmy was a great team player, hell of a worker, very underappreciated. I think largely in the world of pro wrestling and his, uh, why a bunch of folks getting a first look. What's that? TV tapings. We got Brad Armstrong, the Southern Armstrong and cactus Jack Manson, mm-hmm. whole lot of Armstrongs getting a look here, uh, in, on the WCW side of things. Well, and, Conrad, they were game. skilled. They could work with anybody. Uh, they were local. Uh, the Armstrongs had an amazing reputation and well-deserved, uh, thanks to the legacy by the patriarch there in the middle of that picture, uh, a bullet Bob, they were classy by and large. They were, they were, they, they took after their own man. They took the business very seriously and they were very skilled. I mean, we've said this before and, and a lot of people agree with it is that, you know, Brad Armstrong was one of the best workers around. Yes. Period. And then of course, uh, all the whole crew road dog became biggest star. His work in the attitude era was fascinating. He reinvented himself. He had the balls to reinvent himself and to go along with a new concept to try to make it his own. That's magic. We know Scott is going to have a great career as a referee and we're going to see a lot of him, but Steve Armstrong is one of those guys who just sort of disappeared from the wrestling landscape. What do you think uh, of Steve Armstrong and, and his body work in wrestling? I just don't know that he had the commitment uh, in, to be immersed and get married to pro wrestling as, uh, as one would might assume, uh, another good kid. I just don't think he, maybe the pro wrestling business wasn't cut. He wasn't cut out for it. I don't know. But something didn't click. It didn't have the magic, the feel, and and he wasn't a bad hand at all. And he's a big kid. Look good. We know that uh, obviously Cactus Jack is gonna 
really make a a strong he, impression he, as well. He did, he, he did all right. He did just fine. Yeah, he he actually comes in here in November of um uh of 89. Is is this your first time meeting him or seeing him? Had you seen television of him? Oh yeah, him yeah, yeah. yeah. Since yeah. Dallas. You know, the Dallas TV came into Oklahoma, uh, Oklahoma City and Tulsa on the cable system. So I I followed that product closely because then Cowboys started booking some of those the Von Ericks and and the, and the Freebirds and et cetera, et cetera, to come work shots in Oklahoma, Oklahoma city and Tulsa, cause they could work two shots in one day, the two o'clock show in Oklahoma city, uh, you know, uh, 80, 89, 80 miles away to Tulsa to do TV on Sunday night, get a good, nice payday and, uh, and work two shots. So, uh, uh, I, I just ain't cactus on that. I was intrigued by him. I, I really, he, he, he piqued my curiosity and I knew he had something it's there. I don't know if I can articulate it or I can describe it, but there's something special about this talent. And, uh, that proved to be true after, at the end of the day. Well, a month before Starcade, we have, uh, the Omni it's the annual Thanksgiving show, even though it's no longer Starcade. It's a Thanksgiving wrestling extravaganza. Yeah. And, and listen, a lot of, a lot of fans these days may not even remember this was a thing, but it certainly was a thing, especially in the South Thanksgiving night and Christmas night were big business in big. the territory days, right? A automatic big grosses, automatic, good paydays. Everybody wanted to be ironically. Uh, I don't think you could say that today. But ironically, then everybody wanted to be booked on Christmas and Thanksgiving. That means they're leaving their family to, uh, venture off into the world of, uh, of work, but they did it because they were only getting, they were getting paid primarily just on the house on the, how many tickets are sold. And those are great ticket selling nights. Just tremendous. Well, 7,500 fans are going to show up here. It's going to so be that was good for us, Connie. 7,500. Yeah. That's good. That was good for the, that era. Quite honestly. Yes. The, uh, the main event attraction is Ric Flair as a baby face against the great Muda. Uh, they go 30 minutes before Muda gets disqualified because Lex Luger interfered. But I wanted to ask you about Flair as a baby face. Obviously he's the biggest star in the company, yeah. but did he enjoy being a baby face? It feels like he had so much fun as a heel. Well, or was that just what was best for business at the time? I think it was what was best for business, but Rick is so skilled. He could be a baby face or a heel with equal success, right? Uh, he knew how to work. Uh, you know, again, I'm going to wear this goddamn term out. He had Rick had product knowledge that far exceeded, uh, his peers by and large. So, uh, I, I thought he was fans. Look, it's like, it's like, uh, this is don't take this wrong, but. I'm a little weird on my, uh, analogies. He's like a, a, a pair of house shoes. They're, they're broke in. They're comfortable. I'm familiar yep. with them. I know how to put them on. I know how to take them off, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, he just, he could, he could do any of that and do it really, really well. And, and again, the fans loved him tenure. Uh, he was in front of them a lot. They knew him. They, they respected him as they should. So, uh, consequently, 
I, I thought he would do fine. I think the finish sucked. Uh, but I understood, you know, you got to get trying to marry Luger to, to flair. Uh, I get that, but I think, I think Nate could have done something to win the match other than a DQ. I don't know that getting DQ'd disqualified, uh, help Muda. So if we didn't help Muda, we've got to help everybody. Everybody's got to get a, their hand up, so to speak. And, and, uh, I don't know how many favors we did Muda on that finish, but they had a hell of a good match. I thought really good match. Flair I enjoy Flair and Muda are going to wrestle on TV and it's the highest rating WCW had in a year. Not only that, it went heads up with Miami and Notre Dame in a college football game in a 1989. That was big business. Yep. It's the highest rated college football game in like two seasons. Wow. This, this run that flair had in 89, you know, he doesn't even consider this one of his great years because, you know, as far as in ring stuff, he thinks that you know, he probably had more fun in 85, 86, and, and he probably had better matches that weren't televised in the seventies, but fans really romanticized 1989 because you got that steamboat trilogy, then that fabulous feud with Terry Funk. And now we're finishing with really great ratings with the great Muda. I think 89 has got to be one of the most important years of Flair's whole career. I, I can't argue that point. I look back at 89 as a, uh, kind of a glory year for us. We started getting some guys over, uh, that card at Starcade, that round Robin, it, it illustrated that point that we were building some depth. Uh, and, and guys are getting themselves over and this, that, that crew worked hard. They, they did work. They worked very hard, but you still had issues, you know, cause expectations were high and, you know, the monies were seemingly in line. I didn't hear too many guys complain about what they're making more than normal. It's going to happen. Every, every company I've ever worked for, you got guys complaining about what they're earning, uh, without exception. So, uh. Yeah, I, uh, I, I, I just thought we started doing some good things and, uh, I look back at the 89 year is, you know, I was very honored. I worked all three flare steamboat matches with three different partners. Wow. And, and, uh, they just, uh, the performance by Ricky and, uh, and Nate were, if, if a young talent wants to learn in any era, any body type, uh, they will watch that, those matches, if not all of them, cause you'll see them change the matches they go through. They change the, the, their procedures, their strategies, uh, which is trying something different, which a lot of guys don't have the balls to do Rick flair and Ricky steamboat did, and they succeeded. But if you're going to, if you're a young wrestler or a wrestler that, you know, you don't have to be young, you want to learn, you want to get better. You want to be the best you that you can be as Nick Saban would say. So, uh, I'm, a, I'm, I'm just, a, uh, that was one of my favorite years in all the years I've been in wrestling business, 89, because of the quality of the matches. And then you come after you got Ricky, you got Terry Funk, who's having a glory year it missed a beat 
and we forget just how talented a worker Terry Funk was. I miss him, but boy, this is, this is art. This is, uh, again, you can, everybody in wrestling today can learn from watching flair and steamboat and flair and funk everybody, no matter your, no matter where you are on the card, you can always get better and you can get better. If you, if you understand the concept of these matches, of these guys, it's just, they'll go down in history as, at least to me as, uh, the best wrestling year. I didn't have a better wrestling year. Maybe, a there was a year or so in the attitude era when Austin got really hot, but other than that, 89 was it. Was there ever any talk of Terry Funk on a booking committee? Do you yeah. think he would have been helpful for WCW? Absolutely. But I don't know how helpful he would have been in the system. Right. The system Conrad was broken. And so that, you know, too many people on the committee and we met at odd times and, and, and the meeting started and everybody was looking at their, their watches, their Rolexes to see, uh, when they're, how much time they had before their plane left. So they work maybe half a day. Then they'd leave me with the, with the, uh, here's what we want to do. So then it was my responsibility to pitch it and pitch it admirably. And then if it didn't go through, then somebody's going to get blamed. I don't think GR liked that idea. Like I said earlier. So, uh, yeah, I, I, Terry would have been great. Terry, see the committee needed to be got three people and you can't convince me that Terry Funk would not have contributed amazingly in a three man committee. You got three guys. You, you should be able to, you can communicate better. You're not trying to satisfy everybody's agendas to that, to that extreme. There's only three of you. So, uh, you know, I can see, uh, a booking committee of Cornette, Terry Funk, uh, even Sully, but there's a lot of combinations that would have worked, but when you got two guys that uh, are booking geniuses, like I, I perceive them to be in Jim Cornette and, and, uh, and Terry, that excites me. There's going to be some exciting television. And if we do enough of them consistently create continuity, we might fight back in this thing. You're going to find yourself right back in this thing with our friends at mood. This is a, a favorite sponsor of both JR and mine. And I think you'll love it. If you're looking to chill or relax, or maybe looking to just calm down, or maybe you got some soreness or looking to sleep easier mood is your hookup. They're known for their federally legal THC, but now they're adding their most potent product yet to the lineup. We're talking about hemp-based THCA flower, which is the future of legal THC. Try it along with all of Mood's other amazing offerings like Delta 8 flower, gummies, vape cartridges, and more. And for a limited time, Mood is giving our listeners a free gram of THCA flower and 20% off your first order. Just visit hellomood.com and use our code JR. Mood's latest and most potent breakthrough, as we said in the world of legal cannabis, is this THCA flower. What happens is THCA converts into THC when you heat it. 
So you get that classic marijuana high and Mood has 10 high inducing strains, the most potent they've ever had. By the way, we should also mention that these are federally legal forms of THC extracted from hemp plants. So Mood puts an end to all the guessing games and they use regularly third-party tested drug enforcement agency registered labs. It's sourced from small family farms. It's grown organically. And the experts at Mood have tested and tailored all the different strains for specific moods. Euphoric, energized, creative, chill, something for everybody. However you take THC, Mood has you covered. Great for both beginners like myself and veterans like JR. He knows a thing hey. or two about chocolate cake. They got great tasting gummies. They got classic flour. They got convenient pre-rolls and so much more. Try Mood's new THCA flour today. And for 20% off your first order and a free gram of THCA flour, just go to hellomood.com and use our promo code JR. That's hello, M-O-O-D.com. The promo code JR gets you 20% off your order and a free gram of THCA flour. This is something we can get behind, is it not, Jim? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I uh, everything within moderation, first of all. Yes. Uh, uh, no doubt about that. Use common sense. Don't be an idiot. Uh, but can you imagine, you know, if we were talking about this sponsor, hellomood.com, uh, w- when we first started this show? I don't think so. It's, this business has grown. You know, our uh, JR's Black Hat Farms uh, entity is going to open in Tulsa on January the 11th. And uh, that's what I'm told. And so uh, I'm excited about that journey. But uh, And we'll give you more information on it when we get, get around to it. We'll get more de- detailed. Uh, but hellomood.com, what an idea. How in the hell do they do this? And it's all legal. Yeah, it's amazing. It's all, it's all legal, and you and you know it's high quality. Yes. You can't, you, I mean, I I've learned that uh, my, in my almost one year of uh, funding this uh, Black Hat Farms uh, business. So anyway, I I, I got to try this. I'm going to try this. See, Bull's going to get right on this deal like he did everything else, Connie. Like my Blue Chew. You know, uh-uh. Ain't no, ain't no Blue Chew. <laughs> I ain't got shit. Well, you're going to get 20% off your order and a free gram of THCA flour when you go to hellomood.com and use our promo code JR. I'm telling you, you're going to love it. Uh, let's talk about the New York Times. They've got a uh, an article in the business section, and the story is with Jim Hurd saying that in order to try to compete with the WWF, that WCW is going to have to become more quote unquote fairy tale like, and the article is headlined by the line. This isn't real. And it gets some heat from some folks within the NWA. Of course, at this point, I think Vince McMahon has already gone on record, but still we're trying to hang on to what we can. What do you remember of the, the blowback of this interview with others in the wrestling business and specifically the assertion from Heard that in order to compete with that, we would have to be more fairy tale like. So we have to, we have to copy better. We have to yeah. Im- try to imitate better. We can't be original, uh, and and sell what wrestling has always been sold on. That was athleticism. 
we talked a lot about flare and steamboat, flare and funk. You won't find any two better illustrations of, of uh, athleticism. I mean, they beat the shit out of each other. They, the match never died. The crowd was in the palm of their hand. You got maestros in there. that have got a lot of hit records. I think if anything, we could have gone longer with it. Flair and funk because just them doing promos on television was phenomenal. I, I love those times. So, uh, most of us had a philosophical difference with Mr. Hurd's philosophy of what it was going to take to become successful in promoting wrestling. Uh, and so that, that piece in the New York times did not play well. And, uh, it showed where his head was. So now we've got to become more gimmicky in his view, have more characters that whether they're good or bad, at least they're a character. It just, uh, was, you know, hunchbacks. Well, they can't be pinned because, uh, they got a, they got a, they are hunchbacked and they, you can't get their shoulder blades on the canvas. Then I would say, and I remember saying this, I got cussed out like a dog. Uh, I said, well, how about a submission? So in other words, he's saying they can't be beat, which is not a good deal. Anyway, even Andre got beat occasionally. So, uh, it was, uh, it wasn't well-received Connie. It wasn't well-received because a lot of guys that we've talked about here today on this show, it's been a good show is, uh, you know, they wanted to wrestle. They wanted to fight. They didn't want to do ballet and, and, uh, have like the, you know, ninth grade drama class. And that's kind of what it was going to turn into. It looked like at one time. Well, the, uh, the TV is doing well. You're actually beating the WWF cable shows by three full points. So you've got a lot of momentum coming into this. We mentioned 7,500 fans on Thanksgiving night, the road yeah. warriors resigning really high ratings for flair and Muda. Um, and then this tournament concept Meltzer says is really going to be put to the test because the ratings are the highest they've been in a long time. And Starcade's even being advertised on CNN. Really one of the first times we would see some of that synergy from the other branches of the Turner organization. That always shocked me, Connie. I'm yeah. sorry. Excuse me. But it always shocked me that some ambitious Turner Turnerite, uh, didn't facilitate more cross promotional opportunities. They have, you know, there's a, you can. I, and I suggest this in the meeting one time, can we not use unsold inventory to run some spots on some of these other Turner, Turner properties, headline news, CNN, cartoon network, wherever, wherever there's a television and they got a show, we should be a part of it in some shape, form or fashion at key times. And if nothing else, you do cool promos for tune in. So, uh. I thought that was always under underachieved. We left a lot of, a, a lot, a lot of money on the, on the table on that deal. I want to ask you about just the tournament concept with seeing the same wrestlers multiple times on a show. I bring this up because Bruce Pritchard has told us that 
one of the things he noticed when he first joined the WWF is they would do just marathon television tapings. They might do, you know, four or five hours worth of matches to tape for TV, but they would always tease. Don't forget Hulk Hogan's going to be here. And Hulk Hogan would work his dark match. He would go on last, but that's how they kept people there. Right. And even after it felt like, man, this crowd is burnt out. They're dead. Boy, they'd come alive for the Hulkster. Once you've seen, like, if you're there to see Ric Flair or you're there to see Sting or the Road Warriors, you're going to see them multiple times. Does that affect the way the crowd reacts or responds in your opinion? It does. It does, Conrad. If uh, what, they, what they saw as an example of the work of these individuals uh, didn't hold, hold, uh, hold up. In other words, if there were good matches, uh, there's no reason not to stay tuned. And it was a pay-per-view to start with. Uh, so you, you already paid for it. Why not watch it? So, uh, I don't know. I don't think that, I mean, we're supposed to be telling a story here and we're, we have a tournament ongoing where every match has a significance. So to me, there was a, uh, uh, foundation set for, uh, that, uh, for that thing. And that was what we were hanging our hat on, so to speak, you know, but the, I don't remember any of those matches being laying eggs. I think some guys were, I don't know if everybody had their heart in it because of the fact they might have to do a favor, do a job, a job. What a negative thing to say. It's so outdated. It's not even funny, but anyway, uh, I, I, we're supposed to be telling this story. We've got a, we've got a logical conclusion. We have a scoreboard. Uh, so we've facilitated all we can within the format. Now, was it the right format, the round Robin? Hell, I don't know. It was my idea. So, uh, you know, it, it was, it was crazy. What else is crazy is that we're going to try to pretend that Ole Anderson's a baby face. We mentioned Aaron is coming back to make the <laughs> save for Rick. The other member of the horseman is Sting. Sting's a huge baby face, as is Flair, because, well, we got Muda to play heel here. But yeah. Ole Anderson as a baby face, that just feels freaking weird. Yeah, it was. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't recall Ole embracing that role. His natural personality of which he should be booked. And he was very successful in his natural personality is surly. Uh, he's a bully, you know, uh, all that good stuff. And so, uh, no, I don't, I don't even know how we got to that point. I guess just the group was a baby face, baby faces. I don't know, but it just didn't click to me. It still doesn't. The Samoan SWAT team are going to transition and become the new wild Samoans. This happens when Samu leaves the company for a brief amount of time. So now it's Fatu and Tama. Fatu is going to go on to be known as Rikishi, but Tama, whose real name is Sam Fatu, don't get confused now, probably most, most well-known as the Tonga kid. Speaking of tag teams, the Midnight Express and the Dynamic Dudes are going to do a 3.6 rating which is 1.9 million homes on WCW. And it actually makes it the most watched regular WCW or Georgia championship wrestling show. It happens on December 2nd. Neither of these teams are scheduled to be featured 
at Starcade. And I guess the idea is, you know, if you're going to do a tournament and you're going to do round robin style, you're going to have, uh, you're going to have some folks sitting on the bench. We're going to have multiple teams wrestling twice. I know it's guaranteed money. Was there anybody complaining about the nature of this? Who wasn't featured oh, on the pay-per-view? Oh yeah. Anytime somebody's not booked on the pay-per-view, they're going to bitch. Uh, they, some of them have, have reasons to bitch. You know, I, I can't say I, I would have probably at the end of the day wanted uh, midnight express in the tournament because they can make anybody look good. Yes. They can execute. Uh, but you know, that, and, and Cornell was involved in that decision-making of the, all these guys were, as far as who were going to put in the tournament, the round Robin, I think a lot of people don't understand what a round Robin is. This it is an old term. Yeah. But if you got 12 guys in a tournament, all they, they all wrestle each other once. So we, you know, I'm using that as a vague, loose illustration, but, uh, Conrad, there's a lot of ways to examine this show. Yes. And I'm not being overly protective of it because I, I had the idea. I didn't say I had the right idea. I didn't say I had the best idea. I had the only idea and that's where we find ourselves. Well, we also find ourselves, uh, having a conversation here about Tommy young. He's going to referee his last match. It's a television match between Mike Rotundo and Tommy Ridge. Unfortunately, Tommy young takes a hell of a bump here and that's the end of his wrestling career. You know, this, I have to admit, I didn't think at the time when I was watching, it didn't look all that devastating. I know it is going to be, but we've learned from watching things like Dale Earnhardt run into the wall, which we've seen a thousand times before and everybody yeah. was okay. It spelled disaster, at least for Tommy Young's career. Thankfully he's still with us. One of the finest referees and most beloved referees, and this is going to signal the end of his in-ring career. How hard was this for Tommy? And how badly was he missed in WCW? Well, Tommy's a very emotional guy. He's a very sensitive yeah. guy and a good dude. He was a hell of a referee. The only knock on Tommy that I ever heard was that sometimes he took away from the show a little bit because he was, uh, so colorful, you know, uh, but Tommy was just a great referee. I, I guarantee if he did a poll back in those days, who the boys wanted to call their match, they would tell you it's Tommy young. Oh, for sure. So he was, uh, really, he's the toughest game. And, uh, and we had him and we used him and, and, uh, his injury was uh, heartbreaking because I don't know that anybody loved what they did any more than Tommy young. And that was taken away from him. And that was just a damn shame. Damn shame. Kendall Wyndham comes back into the company. He's getting rave reviews here. Um, the rumor in innuendo is that he was considered, it was discussed. Maybe we make him a part of the horseman, of course, with the Barry Wyndham association. Uh, but JJ Dillon is going to leave. It falls apart. He returns from Florida. Looks pretty good. Um, unfortunately, I think he's probably best known for off the field antics, I guess, but what do you think? 
his career did more. I mean, he has the legacy, but it never really clicked for him like it did for Barry. Well, he wasn't blackjack right. and he wasn't Barry. Those are two things. His relatives cast long shadows. Speaking of, yes. uh, uh, young Mr. Wyndham, uh, but skill wise, he was good. His body was a little lean. He needed to fill out to get to that next spot up above him on the card. Uh, but yeah, he, uh, he had skills. He just needed to work on his, he needed to hit the gym and, you know, and bulk up a little bit, eat different, try to put some, you know, protein in his body and, and grow. So, uh, but he had skills. He had a, see, here's the thing. Uh, Kendall had the aptitude that we're talking about. He had product knowledge. He, he had been around the business his entire life. He was never away from it. They need a large time frame or degree. So I, I, uh, but he's a nice kid, nice kid. He wanted, he was hungry. He wanted to be a star like his dad and his brother. Well, we're finally at the show. It's critically acclaimed by the wrestling observer readers, 76.3% thumbs up, uh, 130,000 buys down 20,000 from the prior year with flair and Luger on top down 45,000 from Halloween Havoc with Flair and Sting taking on Funk and Muda in the Thunderdome cage. You know, Bischoff has said in his mind, Halloween Havoc was the, the WCW answer to WrestleMania. If there was such a thing, of course, there is no real answer for WrestleMania, but if WrestleMania was the WWF's top show, he felt like Halloween Havoc was WCW's top show. The numbers bear out here. Since, you know, 45,000 more people bought Halloween Havoc than Starcade, you were here around the wrestling business long before Eric was in your mind was Starcade the top WCW show when you were there or was it Halloween Havoc? That's how I perceived it. That's how it was pitched to me when I came in, the Starcade was the, the Rose bowl, the granddaddy. Yeah. The granddaddy of them all. And, uh, it's hard to argue that point for, because for years, it was very, very special. Uh, so, you know, I, 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 I thought that, uh, I'm glad that see, the observer fans are very critical. They're, a lot of them are very knowledgeable. So they probably of any other collective group, know more about the inner workings of wrestling than any other entity of its kind. It's Meltzer certainly been doing it longer than most. Uh, so I, 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 you know, my, the marching orders are to be different to make it special, something we haven't seen. I don't want to see the same shit, blah, blah, blah. So that's what we came up with. And, uh, you know, not featuring flair in the title in hindsight could easily be considered a mistake on my end because that's not how the show was booked. Let's talk about how uh, the show is booked. The point system of the tournament is announced the day of it's 20 points for a pinfall or submission. It's 15 points for a count out. It's 10 points for a DQ and it's five points for a time limit draw. Of course, these days we know AEW is doing 
their tournament and and their do you think this works and fans can get into it? I love that it has a real sports feel. Yeah. We know it's worked successfully in Japan. Do you think it worked for WCW and can it work in present times for AEW? Well, I hope so for AEW. I mean, it, there's to me, the tournaments just have a, a logical progression. Uh, you know, whatever you start with, you start eliminating people. Uh, if it's a, if it's a round Robin, it's a, you can have a point system. I like it. Uh, or I wouldn't have booked that crazy shit. Uh, but that's just my own personal, I like, like, like you, I like the sports, uh, component feel, uh, but, uh, you know, 130,000 buys wasn't for us at that time, wasn't a total disaster, but it wasn't great. We should also talk about the, uh, the draw. You guys had 6,000 fans here at the Omni in Atlanta and check this out on a Wednesday night. It's December 13th. The gates around $70,000 because 5,200 fans were paying, but a Wednesday night, yeah, a per view. This is unfathomable now. Like wrestling fans are conditioned right. that it's on a Saturday or a Sunday for years and years. It was almost exclusively on a Sunday, but a Wednesday. Talk to me about how that could have happened. Ask the decision makers. They had yeah. a brilliant idea, you know? Uh, new night, new concept, new, 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 but that's like changing something for change sake. I'm a big proponent against that. Uh, I don't know how it got on Wednesday. I know that we talked about it a lot, but it was beyond the wrestling's wrestling groups control to put it that way. We were told this is what it's going to be. It's oh, by the way, it's Wednesday. What? So it, it, uh, it made not, didn't make a lot of sense. I think that hurt the buy rate. I think it did. Maybe I'm wrong. Well, we know that, um, it's a down from the, from the Thanksgiving night show. You had 6,000 fans here in person versus 7,500 the month before. But one of the issues you said, you don't like change just for the sake of change. Right. Well, Meltzer points out that the show starts at seven, but normally these shows start at eight. So there's only like 2000 fans in the building when the show starts. So it looks less than ideal because the fans have just been conditioned. It's eight o'clock. No, it's actually seven, but you are on a different journey. I think that you wrote in your book that you were legally stoned during this show because you had had a bunch of dental work done. Oh yeah. And even led to a visit from the DEA. Talk to us about this. <laughs> God. Well, I got, I got, in, I got into business with a, uh, less than, uh, reputable. I mean, I had a great practice and beautiful facilities and everything, but the guy was uh, sure free about doling out the pain pills. And I remember talking to flair about this, you know, he, he tried to get me to, uh, postpone the surgery until after the pay-per-view, which probably made a lot of sense. Actually, I should have done it, but, uh, I was amply medicated, uh, on that, on that show. I remember that because I was in torturous pain and, uh, my mouth was sore and I couldn't control the pain. It was just horrible. 
I should have listened to flair on that one. And I didn't my bad. So, uh, yeah, it was, uh, and then the, and the, the DEA came not because of me, but because of my dentist, they were investigating him because apparently he had over prescribed others with strong pain medicines, including me. And, uh, it's easy to get to lacking that shit, but uh, I had to make it through the show and you know, my ego was going to let me sit at home and complain of a toothache. So that's what we did. Made, made it through it. I, I'd like to go back and now that we talked about that, I'd like to go back and listen to a, a whole match or something just to see if I can catch myself being off timing or something. I didn't know. I didn't notice it, but maybe I wasn't paying that attention in that regard, but it happened. And I was, I had to, the show must go on Connie. You know how that shit goes. Well, the observer would say that this was a show for the hardcore wrestling fan. And that he didn't think casual fans could get into seeing the same guys wrestle three times that you had to follow the rules closely and pay attention. And there's a concept of simple mathematics that if you can't keep up, the show's going to go over your head. And he says, besides flair, you know, you really are having, um, trouble with some of these other performers putting on different style matches. I think we should at least acknowledge that these days Dave likes this type of thing. Maybe he didn't think it would work back then, but I mean, he even wrote this about this show. There was almost too much wrestling with nothing else. Just one match after another, albeit mainly solid matches. Now I'm sure he's trying to draw the comparisons between a hardcore fan like himself and a casual fan, but we know that Dave likes that. He loves new Japan and man, there's just a lot of great matches one after another there. Uh, you're going to work with uh, some different folks here on the show, Jim Cornette on the tag matches, Terry Funk on the singles matches. Of course, Terry Funk has been uh, an opponent of, of Ric Flair and, and certainly been in there with sting and Lex Luger and former tag team partner with the great Muda. So having someone of his star power there at your side for the singles matches, I like that. Cornette, the resident expert on tag team wrestling. All right. but this is a, a, a unique day for you where you have two different dance partners, depending on who the match is. Talk to us about that. <laughs> well, I, I'd worked with those guys before, so that wasn't, that wasn't a challenge. Uh, I, you know, I had, I had great confidence in Corny and, uh, and Terry that, that we would do a good job. Uh, and I, I was looking forward to it because they both brought a sameness as far as concept philosophy and so forth. Uh, so that made them a little bit more predictable for me on my end for my role. But I, uh, I, I thought we had a, that was a fun night maybe because I was drugged. Uh, but it was, it was an interesting night. Uh, and I love working with those guys. You know, it's too bad we can't ever do it again, but boy, it was, it was a fun experience while it lasted. Well, if you're looking for a fun experience while it lasts and maybe you want it to last a little longer, can I recommend Blue Chew? Guys, if you've been under a rock, you've been missing out, it's time for you to check out BlueChew.com. Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra, Cialis, and Levitra, but in chewable form and at a fraction of the cost. 
You can take them anytime, day or night, so you can plan ahead or be ready whenever an opportunity arises. And the process is simple. You sign up at Bluetooth.com, you consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. And here's the best part. It's all done online. That means no visits to the doctor's office, no awkward conversation, and no waiting in line at the pharmacy. Bluetooth tablets are made in the USA, prepared and shipped directly to your door, all in a discreet package. But there won't be anything discreet about your package. Seriously, <laughs> JR and I really believe in this. We love it. You will too. This is what that special someone in your life really wants for Christmas. A memory, a lasting memory that leaves a longing impression. Oh. Bluetooth wants to help you have better sex. So discover your options at bluetooth.com. Chew it and do it. We got a special deal for our listeners. Try Bluetooth free when you use our promo code JR at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. That's bluechew.com. The promo code JR gets you your first month free. Visit bluechew.com for more details and important safety information. And we thank bluechew for sponsoring today's podcast. Absolutely. We love bluechew. Uh, it works, you know, I'm 71 and sometimes after the bluechew application, I don't know how old I am. It hey works. Now. Hey, hey now. now. Hey now. Uh, so. You know, when Bull gets off his ass and pulls the strings as an executive that he is, I'm sure I'll have, uh, I'm not out. You never get out. Never no. run out. Uh, but boy, it works, folks. And it's, it gives you confidence. It, it, there's a lot of positive things other than uh, uh, a boner that a cat couldn't scratch. Come on now. Check it out. Use it try it you'll love it splitchy.com use our promo code jr let's talk about our first match man we got the steiner brothers out here with doom first of all i should just address i love the set i love the stairs with the lights i do think it's funny that the ramp looks like a couple of u-haul ramps squished together it might have been i wish maybe the curtain revealing the different teams and and individual performers were a little faster a little anticlimactic damn conrad you don't like nothing but, but, but I do love, and I mean, love the idea that we got the signers and doom starting off. They get plenty of time too. 12 minutes and 24 seconds. They're playing to like less than half a house because they're starting early. Uh, but you know, it's a count out. So Rick and Scott are on the board with a count out win over doom in 12 minutes and 25 seconds. Uh, next up, we've got Lex Luger and sting. And believe it or not, Lex Luger pins Sting in 11 minutes and 31 seconds. Terry Funk is joining you for color here, and they start off hot. And Terry even says it's the hottest first minute he'd ever seen. And almost immediately, Gary Capetta starts saying that it's been five minutes. So Meltzer makes this a theme that we're doing some time shaving here. In the end, he gave the Steiners and Doom two and a quarter stars. He gave Lex Luger and Sting three stars. He says there were a lot of missed moves, and at times Sting looked lost in the ring and the finish looked bad. But, hey, we're on to the next one. It's the Road Warriors and Doom. The Road Warriors are going to get the win in eight minutes and 31 seconds. So Doom has to wrestle two matches, just one match apart. It's a two-star affair. The Road Warriors pick up the victory. Um I guess, you know, the thing that's hard to talk about in a tournament that we should address, you've got just big monster teams here, you know, big guys like the Samoans, certainly the Steiner brothers, certainly doom. 
but the road warriors, if they're baby faces, it's really kind of hard to quote unquote, get heat on them. It's hard to, it's hard yeah. to have a sympathetic road warrior. Is it not? Yeah. Because the, the their selling skills weren't as good as their traction skills. Yes. Uh, and again, they were conditioned. You know, we mentioned Oli. Oli was a big part of the creation of the Road Warriors and uh, mentorship early on. Uh, and good on Oli because it, it, they got over and they made a lot of money for whomever they worked for. Uh, but I don't know. I, I, uh, uh, anyway, I don't know. I'm getting, I, I don't, I don't know what the, they just didn't like to sell. And so when they did sell, it wasn't totally believable because you could tell their heart wasn't in it. So, uh, that's why they shouldn't have been. And, and that goes against the concept of this tournament. You saw them too much. So you learn as you go through, you know, right. You've, you've, you've pointed out some critiques of this show that, uh, quite frankly, I can't disagree with. But it was a, a, a new idea, a new concept. We didn't know how it was going to work. They have they had never done it before, and they I don't think we ever did it since that I can recall. We've got uh Rick Flair pinning the great Muda in a minute and fifty-five seconds. I didn't get and that. Yeah. It gets two stars, but we know that Muda allegedly is unhappy. Maybe some of that is from Gary Hart. Yeah. Maybe Gary has learned a thing or two, but Muda had really been protected and not taken a lot of pins. And now you're seeing flair beat him in a minute and 55 seconds. Yeah. So are you going to ask me why that happened? I don't well, know. It makes no sense. Yeah. And mm-hmm. maybe it did make sense on that day at that time and that creative progression. And maybe it did make sense. But uh, it's hard to figure out now. After the Road Warriors have picked up the victory, they're going to be out next and lose to the Steiners in seven minutes and 27 seconds. Uh, They're doing a double pin finish here, and a lot of people are surprised that the Warriors are going to lose, but the Steiners win. Uh, Next up, we've got Sting and the Great Muda, and Meltzer would say it had no heat at all, uh, but there was an excellent finish. Uh, Muda's going to go for the moonsault. Sting gets up. Muda lands on his feet, gives him a karate kick, goes back to the top. Sting drop kicks him. Muda crotches himself. Sting pulls him off with a superplex. Two and three quarter stars. So now Muda has dropped two straight falls. Yeah. Next up, it's the new wild Samoans beating Doom in eight minutes and 22 seconds. It gets two stars. We're calling Oliver Humperdinck, uh, big kahuna. Meltzer would say there's no heat for the entire match. And then we go with Ric Flair and Lex Luger. They go 17 minutes and one second, but they call it a time limit draw. It gets three and three quarter stars of all the people to go to a draw. I don't know that I would have picked Luger, but that's what happened. Uh, then we've got uh, Samoans and the Steiners. Samoans get the win by DQ after some stalling up front. It's three stars and, um, Scott is going to uh, throw Fatu over, and and there's the DQ. Then we've got Luger and Muda. They go 11 minutes and 48 seconds. 
Luger is going to really take his time getting in the ring, selling that figure four from the match with Ric Flair. And ultimately he gets the win, believe it or not, Lex Luger gives this, uh, or, or Dave Meltzer gives this match four stars. So wow. for Luger to get the win and go 12 minutes, that's a big deal. But he was often critical of Lex Luger, but to give a four star finish here, that's, that's pretty nice. It's surprising. Uh, but- it's surprising, yes. Connie, to be honest with you. And, uh, and good for those guys. Like I said, I, as I look back at this tournament and I babysit it a little bit because it was my idea, uh, which we've clearly established, uh, I, I just didn't re- remember the show being a bad wrestling show. I think Meltzer had it right when he said it was, it was a show book for the hardcore fans. Yes. That was not the intent, but that's how it worked out. So we, uh, we, we see the mist from Muda that gets the DQ, um, and the tag team tournament comes down to the road warriors versus the Samoans. The Steiners have 35 points. Samoans have 30 warriors have 20 doom has nothing. Meltzer would say a 1970s game show was better than this final match. The guys were missing moves left and right and even screwed up the finish, but Hawk winds up clotheslining Fatu off the top rope for the pin. So the Warriors win the tournament to very little reaction. He gave it negative one star. And now it's time for the singles finals. Luger's already in the clubhouse with 35 points. Muda has zero. Flair has 25. Sting has 20. If it's a draw, Lex Luger wins. If Flair wins by a pin or countout, he gets the whole thing. If he wins by DQ, there's a tie and we have a wrestle off, which means that they're going to overtime. Yeah. Um, Flair goes for the figure four sting catches him with an inside cradle and gets the pin 15 minutes and 54 seconds. It's well-received. Um, Meltzer would say that he carried sting to an excellent match. Sting wasn't booed, but he was, he was turning into a favorite with the fans four and a quarter stars when it's all said and done the road warriors and sting the brothers and paint they're your winners what'd you think when it was all said and done i know that you were hurting for certain with some some dental work and yeah had some different dance partners and we're trying a new concept and you're trying to get the fans who seemingly aren't engaged up and get a reaction out of them what was uh what'd you think when it was over thumbs up thumbs down thumbs in the middle i'll give it a thumbs up uh, and, and, and I'm obviously biased, uh, to be honest about it. So, uh, but I gave it a thumbs up. Like I said, it was something new. It was different. How well would it have been if it had been on a Sunday, uh, and not a Wednesday night. So, uh, we'll never know that answer, but it is worth discussing in that respect. Uh, so, uh, the Wednesday night, I don't think it did anybody any favors. Uh, and you know, it may have been a favor to the cable systems. Maybe the cable systems wanted something different, something new, and were willing to try an alternate night. I don't know. That wouldn't surprise me. Uh, cause the decision makers at TBS were very influenced by various sources, uh, various entities. And, and, and a lot of that came from the dirt sheets. I know that a lot of guys there at TBS, uh, were Meltzer readers on a regular weekly basis. So, uh, you know, 
but I, I would give it a thumbs up and I, and I will also admit I am biased. So, uh, but I, it wasn't, it wasn't bad. It was, it was an experiment. The night, the time, seven o'clock, not eight o'clock. We broke all kinds of traditional things and it still did 130,000 buys on a Wednesday night. I don't look at that as a loss. I look at that no. as a mild, mild win. Uh, and again, I'm biased. Um, let's do some questions here. Clint Switzer wants to know, do you think this tournament format was too complicated for the average wrestling fan to follow? And do you feel like this was the best use of the talent available at the time? It was loaded star power wise. It's there, yeah. but do you think for the benefit of hindsight, the tournament concept was hard for fans to follow? Yes, I do agree with that. Uh, we overestimated, uh, the mental commitment that fans would have on a concept. Uh, you have to, you have to keep up. You got to be able to do your math. You know, that little summary you read before we talked about the last match, it was indicative of that, but there were stories being told all through the night. The scoreboard was uh, a key component and a lot of, for some fans, it was just too much mental to invest. Just wanted to relax, sit back and watch some wrestling, uh, was kind of one idea. So yeah, I I'm with you on that deal, Connie. It's, uh, probably, and the, and Mr. Switzer there, Barry Switzer, uh, I, I'm surprised that, uh, uh, it was that challenging. It wasn't for me because I was knee deep in it and I was consumed by it. So between uh, dental surgery ill scheduled, uh, I, it was, I just didn't think it was a bad day. Big extra wants to know Gary Hart is managing Muda at the time here in WCW. I always feel like Gary does not get the credit he deserves as a manager. What are your thoughts on Gary Hart? And is he a five, top five manager all time? Uh, probably is. Uh, Gary, very talented, had a great, Barry had, uh, or Gary rather, excuse me, had a mind kind of like Kevin Sullivan's. It kind of, it would borderline the violent and macabre. And, uh, so my phone's ringing. So there's that. Sorry, folks. I'm multitasking. My physical therapist was supposed to come this morning and she was, she's now running late because of me. And so we're rescheduling my physical therapy today. I'm, I'm learning to walk again, uh, walk all over again because of, uh, this, uh, diabetes has affected my balance. Blood sugar has just been a bitch, but we're, we're whipping its ass slowly, but surely. Uh, so I don't Where were we Connie? I'm sorry. Uh, uh I was asking about Gary Hart. Oh yeah. Yeah. Gary, Gary was great. Was he top five? Well, in a, in a lot of people's books, he was number one. Uh, but he was a, he had a, an evil heel mind and, uh, was a somewhat of a locker room lawyer. He was, uh, he, he liked to manipulate things. And so, uh, but that's why Gary didn't have too many long runs as a booker. He couldn't get along with everybody, but he was brilliant. 
really brilliant. Cowboy had a lot of faith in him uh, when, when he worked for Bill. I worked with Bill. So, uh, but he's good, man. Yeah, he's good. You know, I haven't read his book. Uh, you know, I, I haven't read his book, but I heard it's amazing. If you can find it. It's a hell of a book. Go out of your way to see it if you can. Um, and be sure to be here next week. We're going to be talking about Armageddon 2000. We'll be defending the world title against Kane and Triple H. Mick Foley will be the ref for Rob Van Dam, defending the IC title against Randy Orton. And it's Evolutions Night. And boy, if you are looking for men, we got them here on the show. Love to advertise your product or service at advertisewithjr.com. Uh, you can also keep up with us over on YouTube. It's the easiest, cheapest, best way to support the show. It's grillingjr on youtube.com. And of course, just in time for the holidays, coming off the biggest in, in J history, you can get something, the perfect stocking stuffer for the wrestling fan in your life at jrsbbq.com. Sure can. Uh, we had an amazing Black, Black Friday weekend type thing, uh, I it, it far exceeded my expectations. What people are realizing is that these products, you can use them, you can eat them, you can have meals with them, you can have some fun with them. I saw today uh, or maybe yesterday where uh, our, uh, our, our mustard is, uh, uh, our mustard is our number one seller right now. And for years, it has been the original barbecue sauce. So the mustard is uh, gaining an, an audience, but, uh, you know, it's the, the, here's the issue folks real simple. Our products are, are healthy. Uh, they are tasty. They are affordable. Maybe that's as important as anything nowadays. So you can get a lot for your bang for your buck, uh, at jrsbarbecue.com, but we've still got to remember that we've got to shift this stuff. So, uh, don't wait till the very last minute. Uh, for your stocking stuffers here. And we got a lot of signed items. I've signed a bunch of those uh, action figures, which are selling great. So, uh, if you got a chance and you want something different for your, the wrestling fan and your family, or just for yourself, gift yourself, but stocking stuffers galore. It's a, it's a, it's a battle Royal of stocking stuffers. Cause so you look on that, that graphic and see all the things you can select from. So it's, it's pretty cool. And I don't even see a picture of our, uh, uh, red ass, uh, hot sauce, but I, I, I've used that three days in a row and it's, I gotta say, it's not bad boy. It's pretty damn good. So check us out. Give us some, give us a chance to get it to you. Don't wait till the last minute and then, then text me or not text me, but tweet me that my order's late. Well, so I can't, I can't deliver. I should, but I can't deliver. So check it out and, uh, you'll, you'll find out you're, you're buying some good stuff, tasty stuff, fun stuff. It'll get more response at your Christmas party than anything you're going to, you're going to gift. I promise you that good conversation starters. So, uh, enough of that. I hope we appreciate your support. You got time to order. You got time to get it delivered and you damn sure got time to eat. So, uh, Conrad is, uh, moved to another assignment here this morning and, uh, 
he's an entrepreneur, you know, he's a successful too. He's my buddy. So, uh, I'm closing the show. I can do that. And, uh, appreciate you guys still supporting AEW and, and in my absence, I will be back. Just don't know exactly when, but the time is getting more manageable and put it that way. I can tell you that the insulin I've been taking is minute is a life changer. It's helped me a lot. Uh, and I was leery of taking giving myself uh, shots. So, uh, but I'm doing it and it's uh, working. So that's the key thing. Listen to your doctors, pay attention. And uh, I, again, I appreciate you guys uh, supporting me on Twitter and all those places. Uh, and, uh, Conrad and I appreciate your business. Uh, you're like, we're all like family here and we appreciate you guys. So, uh, for Conrad Thompson, the Podfather, I'm good old J.R. Jim Ross saying, thank you for being with us this week. We'll see you again next week on grilling Jr. Hey, Hey, it's Conrad Thompson here to tell you a little more about what adfreeshows.com is all about. Get early ad free access to more than a dozen of your favorite wrestling podcasts every single week, starting at just nine bucks. That's less than 20 cents an episode each month. And yes, you can listen to them all directly through Apple podcasts or your regular podcast apps. How easy is that? Ad-free shows also has thousands of hours worth of bonus content and docu-series like title chase, Eric fires back conversations with Conrad and the insiders. Plus new series like the book with David Crockett, Monday mailbags with Mike Kyoto and Nick Patrick and a whole lot more. And you want to talk about early. You can't get any earlier than listening to the shows live. You can be a part of the live studio audience as we record the podcast. Plus ride shotgun alongside your favorite childhood heroes for live watch alongs, Q and A's and other interactive experiences every single month. Come on now, see for yourself what thousands of other wrestling fans from around the world have discovered that adfreeshows.com is the best value in wrestling. Check it out today. And Hey, when you do the first week is completely free adfreeshows.com. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.